happy appearance day of Srila Bhakti Siddhanta to everyone. Um, I was actually with Prabhupada on this day in 1976. And uh, as I was working as a secretary, and so on Prabhupada's different, on Prabhupada's disappearance day, I'm trying to send a little message here, the thing, but uh, let's see, there we go. No, okay. Um, Prabhupada on that day, he put his spiritual master's picture on the Vyasasana and he sat down on the floor on a, on, a, on a cushion and he spoke about his spiritual master. So, um, of course, Prabhupada was uh, most devoted to his spiritual master and uh, and so, but what I'd like to do today though is um, Put Bhakti Siddhanta, try to put Bhakti Siddhanta in type of historical perspective. Um, Bhakti Siddhanta, of course, the son of Bhakti Vinod Thakur, and um, he really created the first Hare Krishna movement completely in the modern sense. Um, Bhakti Thakur, of course, is one of the great patriarchs of our movement and really, you could say, almost resurrected Lord Chaitanya's movement in the world. There were great Vaishnavas. I mean, Bhakti Thakur's own guru, Jagannath uh, Das Babaji, and so on. So there, throughout uh, the time between Lord Chaitanya's Parents in this world and, and up to the time of Bhakti, you know, there were great Vaishnavas. There was Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur, there was Baladevid Yabhushan, and there were, of course, many other great devotees. But it was the devotional service of Bhakti Vinod Thakur to recreate what was recognizably a Hare Krishna movement, organized movement. Now, in Bhakti Vinod Thakur's movement, uh, it was, it was almost all householders, maybe a few brahmacharis. In fact, when, when Bhaktivinoda Thakur renounced the world or gave up family life, he sat down uh, on, uh, on the other side of the Jalangi River in Mayapur and did his powerful meditation. And so he did most of his actual missionary work, writing and preaching, organizing <clears throat> as a householder. And so Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, who of course was a Naishtiki Brahmachari and, and Sannyasi, um, he opened, I mean, to use ISKCON jargon, uh, he opened temples and there were ashrams, there were sannyasis and brahmacharis, people, devotees were going out on the street and chanting. So it was really Bhakti Siddhanta, of course, on many levels, inspired by his spirit, by, by Bhakti Thakur, inspired, of course, spiritually, inspired uh, in terms of organizationally and what, what's possible, what could actually be done. Uh, he started the Gaudiya Math. In fact, there are a number of articles 
very important articles co-authored by Bhakti Thakur and Bhakti Siddhanta. So if you look at the picture, we see father and son really working together. And Bhakti Siddhanta being naturally a, um, a renunciate in this world, he started to fill in the picture of what a Hare Krishna movement can be so that it looked much more like ISKCON today. And uh, one very interesting thing about Bhakti Siddhanta, who also, of course, uh, inspired Prabhupada, he was a great inspiration for Prabhupada, uh, is that one interesting point about Bhakti Siddhanta is that he was, well, a couple, I mean, there are many interesting points, but two perhaps I'll speak on. One is that he was keenly aware, as his father was aware, and we know this from, from the essays they wrote, they were keenly aware of the dangers of an institution, <clears throat> that people become superficial, they take external dress, as the sign of a devotee rather than real bhakti. They wrote some very heavy essays. I mean, if you think that I've spoke heaven, uh, heavily in my uh, Krishna West propaganda, you should read their essays. They're actually very heavy, very heavy. So what this shows us is that Bhakti Vinod and Bhakti Siddhanta both recognized the absolute historical need to organize structure a Hare Krishna movement. It couldn't just be lone sadhus, you know, just sitting down and chanting or people come and they spoke something about Krishna. There was actually a need for a movement, an organized movement, an institution. If you look back, for example, one interesting thing, if you look at the Bhagavatam, uh, there are no organized religions. That's something which people often overlook. But if you look at the Bhagavatam, 5,000 years ago when Krishna appeared, and even, of course, in earlier ages, there's very little that we could call an organized religion. And so, of course, Lord Chaitanya started this very powerful Sankirtan movement, and it was very powerful, had great influence in India, but uh, scholars note that it's remarkable how little institutional structure there was. I mean, clearly, they knew what they were doing, and they they accomplished a lot, Lord Chaitanya, I mean, Lord Chaitanya's followers, but not exactly institutionalized in the way it was done later or the way some religions have done. And so you have Bhakti Thakur and Bhakti Siddhanta really bringing Gaudiya Vaishnav institutionalization to a new level. But they do not do it without some trepidation, without some concern. In other words, their attitude is not, hey, we're institutionalizing, this is all good. That's not at all their view. They see that in the process of institutionalizing, <clears throat> there will be some inevitable problems, some inevitable negatives. And I, I, I heard that Bhakti Siddhartha even called organized religion or religious institutions a necessary evil. And, and both those words are interesting. I mean, I mean, you know, necessary. It is necessary. We do have to have the institution. We have ISKCON, but there are some real problems. Some of the problems uh, that Bhakti Nod and Bhakti Siddhanta, Saraswati Thakur, point out the dangers of institutions are they become sectarian. They divide the world up between the insiders and the outsiders. And I mean, in a sense, to some degree, you have to do that. 
How can you have an institution if you yourself see absolutely no difference between belonging and not belonging? If there's no difference, then why should anyone join the institution? Why should you belong to your own institution? And why did you start it in the first place? Because if you go to all this effort and you create something new, uh, but the new thing you created makes absolutely no difference, it would have been just as good not to create the institution because there's no difference in belonging or not belonging, then why even create it? Why even have an institution? So clearly, Bhakti, you know, Bhakti Siddhanta, Prabhupada, or Bhakti Vedanta, they saw that it is necessary. And so if institutions are necessary, it's absurd, illogical to say that there's no difference between belonging and not belonging, because if that were true, there would be no reason to, to have an institution in the first place. So they definitely think it's necessary, but they see how people become sectarian. They think we're better than you because we belong to this and you belong to that, or, or you don't belong to anything. So there's a sectarian feeling, and, and even worse, as they point out, I've, I've quoted Bhakti Siddhanta and Bhakti Vinod in my essays, uh, people develop what they call the worst kind of devotee mentality, the worst kind of devotee mentality, and that is thinking they're better devotees than others just because they dress a certain way. They actually say that because you dress a certain way or you wear tilak and therefore you think you're a better devotee. You love God more because you dress a certain way, which is as absurd as it sounds. So um, I think that's very interesting. The, the Bhakti Vinod Bhakti Siddhanta, who really laid the institutional foundation, Prabhupada, of course, had to form his own institution because the previous ones didn't really exist anymore as united institutions. But Bhakti Vinod Bhakti Siddhanta, they, they gave these real warnings. These real warnings. There are dangers. You need an institution, but it's in some ways a double-edged sword. And so clearly what we need to do, taking Bhakti Siddhanta's warning seriously, his preaching, is that we need to maintain ISKCON as a strong institution, at the same time be very careful not to fall into the traps that the great Acharyas talk about. So that's one thing I wanted to mention about Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur. Another point is that if you look at the great Acharyas, Bhakti, uh, Bhakti Thakur, Bhakti Siddhanta, or Prabhupada, in, in the modern age, great Acharyas, they're all continually adapting to changing historical circumstances. And one can say only an Acharya can do this, no one else can do this. Uh, is that actually true? I mean, it's... In ISKCON, sometimes there's a problem where don't think you're an Acharya. I mean, I, by the way, I don't think I'm an Acharya like our Prabhupada, Bhakti Santa, Bhakti Note. I'm not claiming that. In fact, I'm claiming I'm not. However, uh, one can be not as great as they are, which is our situation. However, it doesn't mean that there are only two categories of Vaishnavs, great Acharyas and everybody else. That would be uh, deeply irrational. Because as we know, as Prabhupada constantly said, Krishna consciousness is a gradual process. And to say it's a gradual process, which he did say very often, means that there are many 
different stages along the way. In fact, there are three uh, fundamental stages, which are Kanishta Adhikari. Kanishta in Sanskrit means the lowest. Uh, then there's Madhyam Adhikari, the middle position. And then Uttam Adhikari, the highest position. And as we know, it, it, it's, it's not that you just cross a line like yesterday, you were completely a Kanishta Adhikari, and then you woke up today, and now you're completely a Madhyam Adhikari. It's a gradual process. You continue. And, and we don't just make these jumps, like there's gradual progress, and then when you get near the Madhyam thing, you just do this leap. You do this jump into Madhyam Adhikari life, and then, and then it's, it's gradual again until you get near Uttam, and then there's another big jump. The whole thing is gradual, but we, you know, so basically these three divisions. Which means that, because there are many very good devotees in ISKCON who are faithfully chanting Hare Krishna or they're reading and hearing Prabhupada's books, they're serving very sincerely. And therefore, there are thousands and thousands of devotees in this movement who are on the move. They're actually moving. I know in my own life, I, I don't feel that my spiritual life is just uh, stationary, that it's just stuck. I feel that as my body gets older and as my, I don't want to say my soul gets older, the non-devotees talk about an old soul, we just kind of smile at that, but um, I know that I'm advancing, you know, wherever I was, I'm a little better now, so whatever I was, I'm a little better than I used to be. So I'm just thinking what some people will say about that. Anyway, and, and I'm sure, you know, most of you are a little better than you used to be. So, um, so it can't be the case that no one ever adjusts anything. No one ever, uh, everyone just completely ignores the historical conditions we live in. Everyone absolutely ignores the way the world is changing very rapidly all around us, we should all just close our eyes to that, be completely blind to that, and wait for another great Acharya. And until the great Acharya comes, we shouldn't adjust anything. Uh, that's just not, uh, that's not the real world. That's not the way Prabhupada did things. It's not the way he dealt with us. It's not, it, it, it won't work. Our movement won't work if we do things like that. So we need to look at Bhakti Siddhanta, Bhakti Vinod, our Prabhupada. We need to look at the great Acharyas, be inspired by them. We can't imitate them. We can't imitate them, but we can't follow them. So what does that mean? What's the difference between imitating and following? That difference is explained in the 10th canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam. Actually, Sukadev Goswami explains that to Parikshit Maharaj when he asked. The, the context is that... Um, Shuka was narrating about the Rasa dance, and Parikshit said, whoa, I mean, how can the Krishna, we all know that Krishna came to, to reestablish Dharma. Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita chapter 3 that I have to set the example because whatever a great person does, common people follow. So in so many ways, Krishna says that I come to set the example, to show you how to do it, and so on, and yet he's doing something that we can't do. So what's going on here? This is the question the Parikshit asked um, Shuka Goswami. And Shuka said, very interesting, he, in, in those famous verses, he said, if great souls, great personalities, do something themselves, and they tell you to do it, 
they do it and they tell you to do it, then you should do it. If they do it and they do not tell you to do it, then you shouldn't do it. And then, of course, Sukha gave the famous example, just like Lord Shiva drank an ocean of poison, so don't try to drink an ocean of poison. Don't try to even drink a little bottle of poison. So that's the example given. We will ruin ourselves. I remember one time Prabhupada was giving a class in um, Los Angeles. He was talking about the incredible austerities of Raghunath Das Goswami, mm-hmm. who would eat, so little, eat and sleep so little. And then Prabhupada said, do not try to imitate Raghunath Das or you will fall down. Just like you will uh, really come to a bad end if you try to, try to drink poison like Lord Shiva. However, in this case, in terms of adapting the Hare Krishna movement, adjusting, keeping our basic principles intact, but adjusting to the real world that we live in, in fact, Prabhupada did tell us to make that adjustment. He did it himself and he told us to do it. Uh, he, he, he told us to do it in many places, in, in famously in the purport, Bhagavatam purport of 4854, and the uh, Madhya Leela, ch- chapter 23, I think, uh, verse 105, and, and, and in the uh, first canto of the Bhagavatam, the purport to the verse where Bhishma is described as being Desha Kalavi Bhagavit, a knower of uh, place and time, the differences of place and time. So there are many, 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 many places where Prabhupada did in fact order us to make necessary adjustments. And he did it himself. And therefore applying Shuka's criteria, we should adapt. And of course, we know from chapter six of the Nectar of Devotion, Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, there's a difference between basic principles and details. It is the details that we adjust. We do not change the basic principles. Therefore, when we see Prabhupada saying over and over, don't change anything, and then the same Prabhupada saying, adjust everything, uh, obviously don't change basic principles, do change details. And so in order to do that, in order to actually be a very useful follower of Prabhupada, you have to understand the difference. And it's easy because there's a list in the Nectar Devotion. So today is Bhakti Siddhanta's parents' day, and uh, I think the real way to honor him, the real way to follow him, is to enter into the spirit. He, Bhakti Siddhanta made many adjustments. If you look at the, some of the things he did, no one else had ever done that before. I mean, there are pictures, photographs. We have photographic evidence of Bhakti Siddhanta wearing Western clothes, you know, a big Western coat and, and shoes, which probably were leather because they didn't have other kinds of shoes. They didn't have synthetic leathers back then. Uh, you have Bhakti, uh, Bhakti Siddhanta's life making many adjustments because he was so anxious. He's a pure devotee of Krishna, a Nitya Siddha pure devotee, and we can only try to imagine his compassion. It's just like if you see someone you love, someone in your own family suffering, it really gets to you. It really gets to you. If you see someone in your own family, God forbid, suffering. And so um, a great soul like Bhakti Siddhanta sees that everyone is family because as Krishna twice says in the Bhagavad Gita and as Arjuna says once, Krishna is the father of all living beings. Krishna says, I'm the seed giving father, which is the verse Prabhupada liked to quote. 
Krishna says that Pitaha Masya Jagato, I am the father of this universe, Mata and the mother, Dhata, the creator, Pitamaha, the, the grandfather. And then Arjuna says in uh, chapter 11, Pitasi Lokasya, Pitasi, you are the father of this world, Characharasya, moving and unmoving, which means of all creatures, the whole thing. So three times in the Bhagavad Gita, uh, Krishna is said to be the father of everyone. And so therefore, a pure devotee, a great soul like Bhakti Siddhanta, seeing, or Prabhupada, our Prabhupada, seeing how the whole world is suffering, they go into action. They cannot remain indifferent. They cannot remain inactive. I mean, imagine if you, God forbid, if you see someone in your own family suffering, you say, well, I'd like to help, but I don't know, I'm busy or I'm tired or I'm not sure I could help anyway. That's just not what normal people do. And so if you're on this Paramahansa level, if you're on this pure Krishna conscious level, like these great Acharyas, and you see the whole world suffering, you realize it's all family, this moves you to act. You have to act. And, and you have to find a way. If you have a child and your child is sick and you give the medicine, it doesn't work, what do you do? You look for another medicine. You don't stop. A good mother, a good father will not rest until they've tried everything to help their child. And that's the mood of a good preacher. That's what speak of a great preacher like Bhaktisiddhanta. That's the mood of an advanced preacher that I have to help these people, I deeply care about these people, meaning the world, and I won't stop. I'll try everything, anything, of course, within boundaries. I mean, you know, there are rules to the game here. But within the boundaries we have, I will just try this or I'll try that, but I won't stop until somehow or other I've done my absolute very best to help these people become Krishna conscious. So that is very much the mood of Bhakti Siddhanta. He's an amazing combination of sort of like a classic sadhu, very renounced, very detached, um, and at the same time, incredibly modern and just really ready, willing, and able to do whatever it takes to save this world. That's the mood of the real Hare Krishna movement. That's the mood that Prabhupada gave us. And, you know, considering our fortunes, I won't go into my... Uh, you know, you've heard it all too many times. But considering the state of the Hare Krishna movement, it seems to me those of us, or all of us, hopefully, who really get it, how much Prabhupada cares, even if we are not on the Paramahansa stage, even if we don't feel that great compassion for everyone, Prabhupada did. And so we can practice sadhana compassion. Even if we're not on that stage and you're not seeing everyone as your family, you don't love everyone as your own family, you're not staying awake at night, you know, just thinking, how can I help the world? Even if you're not on that platform, practice. Practice sadhana compassion by trying to imbibe, trying to assimilate the mood of Prabhupada, our Prabhupada, and Bhakti Siddhanta, Bhakti, you know, all these great Vaishnavas. We should practice. And just like Prabhupada said, you may not feel like getting up for Mangalarti, but, you know, get up anyway. And then hopefully we'll come to the point of spontaneous attachment. In the same way, we may not feel like 
you know, dedicating our lives to help the world. But do it anyway. Obviously, everyone's going to do it according to their own circumstances, their own situation, uh, you know, in terms of family, in terms of finances, in terms of health, in terms of many factors. Everyone has their own way of surrendering. But still, the point is that we need to glorify the great acharyas like Bhakti Siddhanta, not just because we feel good and we did the right thing. It was their appearance day, so one day a year, let's make the effort. It's much more than that. We should really dedicate ourselves to practicing sadhana compassion. That's why the great, the word acharya is meaningless if we don't do that. Achara in Sanskrit means behavior, in the sense of good behavior, like a mother says to the child, behave yourself. I mean, you can, child could say, well, okay, I'm setting the house on fire, but technically that is behavior. So, you know, when you say behave yourself, comporte says, when you say behave yourself, it means good behavior. Good behavior. So, um, we should practice. We should, we should, we should learn from the great acharyas. So the word acharya means behavior and acharya literally in Sanskrit means behavable. I mean, what does that mean, behavable? It means activity which is that you should behave that way. This is like the behavable way to live. In other words, this is the way you should behave. I won't go into all the grammar here. Uh, I know you all lament that you're not getting all the Sanskrit grammar. But um, that's what acharya means. It means the person whose achara, whose behavior is acharya, which means it should be followed. That's the way we should behave. And certainly, even if we can't imitate, I mean, obviously we can't imitate many things that great souls do, but one thing we can and should imitate is com being compassionate, caring about other people, not being mentally lazy or physically lazy and trying to find a way to get through. I've tried my best. I came up with my, you know, wonderful deviation as some people think, you know, Krishna West, but at least, you know, whatever it is, at least in my heart, I know I'm trying. Maybe it's not the best way. Maybe there's a better way, but I'm trying. And so all of us should do all we can. That's the way to honor Bhakti Siddhanta. That's the way to really show that you have a strong relationship with him, that you take him seriously as your grandfather, great-grandfather, or great-great, or whatever it is. That's the real way to, in other words, if you really want to honor an acharya, take him seriously as an acharya, which means you try to follow him. That's what it means to take someone seriously as an acharya. That's what the word means. So let us all do that. That's the way to honor uh, Bhakti Siddhanta, to honor our own Prabhupada. And as I said, every one of us is in a different situation, you know, in terms of our health, in terms of our energy, in terms of you know, our family situation, our financial situation, in terms of, you know, other resources we have or don't have, people to work with. We're all in different situations. Everyone is unique. But what's common is that every one of us in our own unique way should do absolutely everything we can to follow these great acharyas like Bhakti Siddhanta. So today is his day and uh, we are just unlimitedly fortunate that through our Prabhupada, we have this connection with such a great soul as Bhakti Siddhanta. You can study history, as I do actually, you can study history at different times and places and you won't, you won't find a soul like Bhakti Siddhanta who has this 
perfect understanding of Vaishnava Siddhanta, of the actual nature of God in, 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 in most advanced, detailed understanding, who knows all these things, who has ideal character, who's perfectly detached from the world, and yet completely dedicated to acting in the world to help the world. So this combination of complete detachment and complete commitment, completely detached from the world, completely committed to the world. This is the example of the great Acharyas in ecstatic Krishna consciousness. So thank you all very much. Uh, appreciate your time and your attention. All glories to Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur. And I hope to see you all again soon. Or at least your name pop up there on Facebook. Hare Krishna.